0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast, your chance to get expert advice and hear some real-life stories too. And we were talking parenting on this episode, specifically parenting strong-willed children. They are just 10% of the child population, but seem to take up an awful lot of parental time and energy. So what do you need to know? We brought in leading parenting coach, Mesa, to answer my questions because yes, indeed, I have one too. And yours, what motivates them? And how can you keep calm and carry on? We had a health special with a duo of doctors from King's College Hospital talking chesty coughs and raising awareness around colorectal cancer everything you need to know from screenings to symptoms and it was a pet behavior special we were joined by mena and little ginger plus hearing more about some dog-friendly destinations across dubai we're having a bit of a parenting masterclass this afternoon and turning our attentions to strong-willed children do you have one Are you okay? Send in any questions, concerns you might have about parenting these particular children because I put a little message on my social media earlier and it went wild. Basically asking, please give me assurances that strong-willed children will turn into good leaders. Is there a support group? How do I do this? Help, help, help. And we're talking about this because the fantastic coach Mesa Fahora is with us. She is actually holding a workshop on exactly this topic. So we're getting a bit of a sneak preview on that, finding out a little bit more about this category of children, for want of a better phrase, but also how to parent them, and most importantly, taking your questions. So if you do have any worries or any struggles, get in touch. Zero judgment. You can be anonymous if you prefer on 4001. Um, I guess my first question to you, Mesa, is do you have a strong-willed child?
2: I definitely do. I have three strong-willed
1: children. Oh gosh.
2: <laughs> um, good to know that I'm still well She's and happy smiling. And I'm smiling because I now understand them.
1: Well, that's why you're here, to help us do the same. And before we get into some of the advice, I guess it's some kind of level of understanding about what a strong-willed child is, mm. could you perhaps share some of the signs that you are raising one, that there's one under your roof?
2: Yeah, sure. So let's just first of all highlight a very important point strong will in a in and of itself is a good trait it's a positive trait mm-hmm. i mean when you're an adult and you go for a job they want you to be determined and persistent and hardworking and leadership qualities this is something that you look for in an adult mm-hmm. but when a child uh, yeah, when a child is these things then parents kind of freak out and worry and want to taper it down. And, and, you know, I understand that our generation understands that it's a good thing, but we don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm.
1: because I, yeah. that, that, That's a such a good point because we're in this mm. kind of middle ground because when I think about how previous generations would have parented and kind of navigated this, it's probably very different to what we're going to be advising today. So can we talk about some of those signs, some of the behaviours that you might see in a strong-willed child, Mesa?
2: Yeah. So strong willed children come to us, I think the best metaphor I can give you is they come to us raw. So strong will um, can be in every child. It just depends on the quotient in each child. Every child has strong will, whether you're quiet or loud, introvert, extroverted, every kid has got something that they won't give in on, Mm -hmm. right? But the strong willed kids, those ones that have it in bucket loads, they're the zero to 100 kids either either when they're angry or excited, you know, they'll go straight to that intense. You know, the word that comes to mind again is more. They're more of something. They're not just happy, they're really happy. They're extra intense when they're upset. You know, they feel the feels and they don't know what to do with these raw emotions. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, all their positives are also super highlighted. They're the kids that are great leaders. They're not followers they have got creative ideas which sometimes as toddlers turns into like recreating mum's kitchen to be a masterpiece of pots and pans everywhere
1: You were describing my second child to an absolute (laughs) T. I'm thinking of Miss Tabitha being like, that's you, that's you, my girl. And as you say, I adore her for all of the stuff you're talking about. But my goodness, she challenges me every Mm. single day. There's a few accounts I follow on Instagram who kind of have a bit of a a bit of a few tropes around birth order. Like Mm. this is the first child, this is the second child, this is the third child. How impactful is birth order when it comes to a child displaying those traits? So research is a bit 50-50 on this, but I, I will say this. I want everybody to
2: look at temperaments more than gender, more than birth order. Mm-hmm. But here's what I will say about birth order. We all know that just like everything, the first child you have is going to be your learning ground, right? So that first child, usually the temperament of the first child can swing either way in between super strong will and determined, right through to... Um, you know, kind of the people pleaser really wants mum and dad to be on board with them. So that's why I often say to parents let's look at the temperament in front of you mm-hmm. and let's decide on, you know, what is the child, who is the child in front of you instead of the child you wish you had or the child that doesn't fit into that label of first, middle, or youngest child
1: coach Mason, with us this afternoon we are taking your questions on those strong-willed children we hear those labels you know stubborn defiant we're going to be talking about some of the benefits and also some of the practicalities when it comes to parenting this group we are taking your questions ravi saying i've surrendered since he became a teenager we'll revisit we when he turns 19 so from teens down to tots what do you need to know we're finding out next <laughs> taking a special look at strong-willed children on the show this afternoon with Coach Mesa Fahor. She's a conscious parenting coach. She helps you gain confidence and bring some calmness to your parenting. She's having a workshop on exactly this topic. We'll be hearing more about that. In the meantime, though, Coach, and as you say, you've got three in your household. I've definitely got one. Talking about some of the the signs that you know your your child is, is a strong-willed one, and let's talk about some of the benefits. You mentioned there that in an adult we look at these traits as being really positive, mm. good leadership skills, being determined, not being easily swayed. Mm. Um, so we we're not trying to squash this out of our children. It's just perhaps adjusting our own strategies is Mm. that fair
2: that that's pretty spot on but i also want to remind you that we want to teach our strong will child how to use their strong will in a healthy way Mm. yes you can push boundaries because that's fantastic when you know you're an adult you're in a workplace and you really want to get out of that comfort zone you want to push those boundaries but as a kid you want to learn how to do so without hitting, smacking, biting, you know, punching a hole in the wall, Mm -hmm. which is all something that comes out of that passion, that lack of emotional regulation that a child might have. And in fairness, they're a kid, so their brain is still constructing all of that logic and reasoning. Mm -hmm. So we really want to remember that that little child in front of you, whether they're 10 or 2, 15 or 6, they're still learning, how do I use this thing that I am in a in a good way, in a way that mum and dad think of me well.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, can we, can we maybe do a bit of a scenario mm. where you might see some very typical behaviour and how you would suggest parenting in that moment? Can you, can you I yeah. don't want to role play because that freaks me out, but, <laughs> but let, let's describe a situation, Lisa. Yeah.
2: So just some quick situations before I get into a specific one. You know, strong-willed kids are the kids where you're like, say thank you to grandma, she got you that, you know, present. A strong-willed child will say no, or will say, thank you, or will be like, oh, that is a strong-willed child because they dislike being forced to do anything. You know, a strong-willed child is the kid where the mum will often say, oh, that's typical, they're always in the time-out corner. That's a strong-willed child. They're often pushing boundaries so much that they're being sent away. Mm -hmm. A strong-willed child is a child where a parent will say to them, just say anything come on be nice and the child will say say anything be nice
1: (laughs) oh I've definitely got one (laughs) how common are strong-willed children Mesa
2: they're they're not as common as you as people might think 10% of children are strong-willed only 10% but
1: they take up an awful lot of parenting time and energy absolutely
2: so 90% of my clients come to me to talk about their strong willed kid and I'm often like all right let's talk about the compliant kid now
1: so let's talk about a specific situation yep. and how you would advise dealing with that child. And let's be honest, sometimes it's in order to get what we want, which might be leaving the house, for example, yep. or you know not creating some kind of conflict in a school situation so let's kind of work through one
2: okay so let's always um, you know whoever's listened and follows me knows that I'm all about prevention so prevention is better than a cure so before we talk about that big moment where you want your strong-willed kid to come on listen up it's time to go let's talk about all the things you've done before so have you given them um, some choice have you given them some power in what they are allowed to do have you listened to them because often it's that little tweak in language that can change your relationship with your strong will child. So rather than um, picking every battle, have you walked away from some of them to, to give that child a sense of control? Mm-hmm. Because there's three things that a strong-willed child loves and needs. Actually, every child needs this, but for a strong-willed child, it's vital for survival, basically. One is control of their body and their environment. Two, it's the idea of do you love me unconditionally Mum, dad or are you going to push me away if i behave in a certain way not are you going to push me away or is this going to push you away Mm -hmm. is me hitting my brother for the millionth time as you've reminded me going to push you away from me they're the they're the two underlining and the third one that strong-willed children often think about is what's the point what's the point of this (laughs) and so what parents do i've got (laughs) everyone's like (gasps) yeah So if you could write on your hand, on the fridge, on a magnet, I don't care where you write it, what's the point of your blabber to the strong-willed child? Just be succinct. Cut out those TEDx talks. Homework needs to be done at 8, buddy. Do you need any help to get it done by 8? Uh, I don't even want to do this homework. Okay, why not? Because it's dumb. Okay, what makes it dumb? Uh, because I don't even know how to do it. Oh, you don't know how to do it. Here, I can show you. I don't want to do it okay when will you want to do it it needs to be done by eight and i know we don't have the time and the luxury to really go into role play but believe me in my 20 years of experience with working with strong-willed children that is how we train a strong-willed child to determine what's the point we need to teach them to elaborate the homework's not quote unquote dumb there is a problem Mm -hmm. and in this particular example it was they didn't know how to do the fraction
1: We've got so many questions <laughs> coming in for you. One message is saying, I have four string, strong-willed children. Could it be genetic? Help.
2: I mean, this this topic, yeah, like, do we want to, like, focus on what we have in front of us. Genetic environment, who knows. But I will ask you, how's your strong-will? How are you strong-willed yourself? Because your child is going to take you as stubborn, just like we see strong-willed kids as stubborn. Your child's going to go, well, mum's stubborn, so I'm just going to be stubborn. And again, if you weren't strong-willed growing up,
1: they freak you out and therefore you have a strong-willed child and you're like, ugh! Interesting. Okay, well, we're going to talk about some strategies and we're going to go to the text line next. A number of you are getting in touch with some questions and some, definitely some concerns. Everything from toddlers up to kind of pre-teen age. We've had a lot of messages on this topic and I'm not surprised because the parents, the other parents, should I say, of strong-willed children we're here for you today. Coach Mesa is with us today. She is a conscious parenting coach talking about bringing some calm into the chaos of family life and strong-willed children can often be at the absolute epicentre of that storm. So we're talking about some strategies as well and we're taking your questions too. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you are really struggling with your strong-willed child, whether that is on a practical basis day-to-day or struggling kind of to reframe their behaviour in your mind. Now, we were just chatting there during the news and uh, Milani, our lovely producer, was asking about when does strong will turn into rudeness? And I think that's such a good question because we do often find ourselves in social situations where we want our children to rightfully say thank you for a party or to be just pleasant-ish. <laughs> so how, how can we kind of get our heads around that and perhaps encourage some socially acceptable behaviour in our strong-willed child?
2: Yeah, so of course, uh, that's the dream for um, parents. But the beauty with children is they're unfiltered and they're that way because life hasn't impounded them into like forcing social etiquette onto them. So we need to understand expectations with age, Years of wisdom, hasn't yet happened for them. So yeah, when they get to that party, the first thing they're going to ask for is the party bag. It's fun, it's got lots of things in there. So what we can do in that particular example is try to prevent it, talk about it with them in the car. Hey buddy, when we get there, this is what we might do. If you wanna ask for the party bag, maybe you can do it at this time, let's practice. Now let's say that your kid walks in and even though you've done that, they've gone, where's the party bag? And you could just crawl under a rock. I get that. What you need to do is stay calm, collected, and pretty much smile it off. Because if you're with an understanding parent, they're going to get it. Parents get it. Strong will turns sour once a child senses unsafety or goes into stress. Mm -hmm. Their strong will is going to cause their brain to go, yo, stick tight to this belief you have. Do not eat that pasta because it stinks. Mm
1: -hmm. And as you say, that's zero to 100. That's
2: zero to 100. So they're intense and they're more, and they're not going to have a bite of pasta because interestingly, and this is a psychology fact, strong-willed kids as toddlers work out something, Helen. They work out that, you can't really force me to do something. Like, you can be mad about it and put me in the corner, but I'm going to run away when you walk away eventually. Uh, You can force me to take that bite.
1: I'm not going to swallow it. You can't force my digestion so it's a power thing it's a power thing okay interesting right so the text line we go yeah um, a message and this is anonymous and you can of course get in touch and say no name it makes no difference at all but a really interesting topic. So we've had a number of messages about this age group four-year-old girls mm. no name saying a daughter's just in four and in the last six months she's been really hard work she's mm-hmm. always been strong-willed but now she gets upset about something she kicks hits screams and cries it's getting to the point where we're finding it hard to cope and I'm walking on eggshells Um last six months I assume she'd get easier um, at least not be biting hitting and kicking is this normal behavior no idea what to do she starts FS 2 in September and we're really worried about how she'll be in school
2: Mm. so really difficult to judge this I'd love to hear um, more from you you know I'm available on social media just to reach out and I also do one-on-one coaching but if we're going to take that question as is really broadly as is a child hits bites is aggressive for a reason We need to work out what's going on. No child wakes up and decides, today I'm going to hit my brother. They are hitting for a reason because they're trying to express something. Yes, it's uncalled for. We don't want hitting, but we need to find out what's going on. We need to get curious. So my advice to you would be the following. What do you do? How is your reaction when she hits? Mm. Because if you go over the top, her brain is going to get programmed with, whoa, when I do this behaviour, mum gives me so much attention.
1: And doesn't really care if it's so-called bad attention?
2: Doesn't really care if, she's, if it's bad attention. As long as my mum is, like, with me and giving me this lecture, I feel like she's right with me. So how much time do you spend watering the flowers compared to watering the weeds?
1: So that's an interesting point. So when it comes to parenting strong-willed children, is it a bit like training a puppy where you praise the good, praise the good, praise the good?
2: Yes. And I just touched on this the other day. You know, I've got a few um, dog, you know, leadership accounts of (laughs) trainers. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) if we want to give a a, a pet a really good idea of what we want them to do, Mm -hmm. then we do it repeatedly off the couch, off the couch. Here's a treat off the couch. Here's a treat. You got off the couch. Here's a treat. Yet with children, we're like, don't jump on the couch once. Or a parent will say to you, but Mesa, I say it a million times, don't jump on the couch. Okay, but what are we doing to reinforce what you want them to do?
1: And oh, is all they're hearing on the couch, on the couch, on That's the couch. That's right. Mm-hmm. If
2: you have a child, I'm gonna give this as a PSA. If you have a child that is a jump on the couch kind of kid, you know the kids I'm talking about. They're what? the jump off the benches, jump off everything kind of kid. You must give them an outlet. They're looking for something
1: slightly older messages from ej saying our daughter's always been good in in the in the sense of does her homework but is also stubborn as anything she's just eight and last month developed a real attitude um it's like having a mini teenager i don't want to squash the spirit out of her because she'll need it when she's older but in the meantime i need some advice for dealing with it
2: yeah so straight out attitude to you i would be asking you to talk to her as a conversation outside of the moment hey buddy you got a minute Just, you know, this morning I was asking you about, you know, what's going on at school and I really felt like you were unhappy to talk about it and it came out as rude. That's one idea. Another idea in the moment is to throw in a whole lot of humour. Whoa, that's a little bit over the top. I think something's going on. So what we want to do is also not brush everything off with a sweeping statement like my daughter has attitude mm-hmm. let's look at it intensely my daughter has attitude when she comes home from school that's a typical kind of thing
1: to the text line again guys i have so many messages on this and we will be telling you about how you can have some some time with mesa away from the show um a message anonymous message saying how to deal with a very strong-willed super smart kid with poor writing skills he'll do anything to writing verb knows everything but just doesn't want to write his answers or ideas
2: yes i have one this really crumbles the internal people pleaser academic good girl in me so i'm going to ask you anonymous how is that sitting with your inner child were you the good girl or good boy at school that just did all that handwriting or were you not I'm going to go with maybe you were. So in any case, when your child doesn't do their writing, what does that mean for you? Mm. What meaning do you give it? And then we go to the practical side of things. What will make them do the writing? Can you sit next to them? Can you offer them a treat? Can you give them a snack? Can you break up the writing in small bursts? Can you pre-plan um, like it? Can you get them to choose when they want to write? And goodness me, is writing so outdated sometimes? And that child is thinking, what's
1: the point? What's interesting, we were talking about reading on the show recently and one of the quotes I'd read was like, it's not for everybody, As adults, not everybody is desperate to go home and get their nose into a book. And I have one child who loves reading and the other one isn't quite there yet and maybe she never will be. And that's totally fine, but it's taking me a little while to kind of accept that that yeah. is actually fine. Yeah. Because I was a reader, yeah. I was that conscientious you know, little bookworm and yeah. I automatically assumed that you know, one of my child, children would yeah. be. So that's interesting, kind of examining what you're finding so kind of trigger around it. I mean, the, oh, the, the point is, unfortunately for school, there are some things that you do need to be ticking the box on. Definitely. But finding that motivation. And that ties into the next message we've got, saying, um, I need to understand how to motivate my strong-willed child. Now, it's going to be completely dependent on age and, you know, all sorts of different factors. But are you able to give us a quick kind of breakdown Mm. on motivations?
2: Yeah, so motivation comes in ebbs and flows. We know that as adults ourselves, you know, we'll be motivated for the gym one day and then not the other. But here's what I will say. I am yet to meet a child, especially a younger child, let's say, you know, 10 and under, that will choose something else other than, that will choose something else if the parent has offered them to help them to be with them they will choose that every time let me phrase that properly the child will choose the parent every time if the parent is sincere mm-hmm. and really curious with them buddy um your motivation is low today in doing this assignment that's due in tomorrow i really would love to help you do you want me to sit here do you want me to
1: check in with you it? in half an hour whatever yeah okay um, anonymous um, message saying First world problem My 11 year old daughter point, flank, point blank refuses To eat airplane food And has done it so her whole life On a 14 hour trip home to Australia It causes a massive issue She gets hungry I forget to park snacks She won't even eat the chocolate Which she likes She learnt this behaviour from someone I won't say who How can I snap her out of it This is this is exactly what I was just saying to you At the weekend There was a ride at Motiongate That I was saying to my daughter You'll love this No And I was like you really will love this. Why aren't we going on the ride? There's no queue. It's perfect. You're tall enough. And it was just a hard no. And I was like, okay. Ooh. In this situation, this child does need to eat on a 14-hour trip. And it sounds like she's just got this in her head and is digging those heels in.
2: It's interesting because when I read that, and again, I've been on this journey for 10 or 11 years now, but when I read that, the one sentence that sticks out is, I forgot to pack snacks. Pack the snacks, buddy. <laughs> Let go pack the snacks the answer is there sometimes when those shoulders just crumble of yours and you let go of the c word the control word and you stop looking for why it's the dad's fault the grandpa's fault genetics oh my god i ate something funny in my pregnancy when we let go of those stories and we just look at the thing in front of us which by the way is conscious parenting because conscious means being awake and looking at this present moment and kind of going okay today is Wednesday and my daughter does not want to eat aeroplane food and I forgot to pack snacks I would say whoa I forgot to pack snacks what can you eat on this whole entire airplane let's have a look mm-hmm. the moment you relax your strong
1: willed child will relax Lisa, we've run out of time we haven't run out of questions now you have got a workshop coming up on exactly this it's on March 16th who is it for how can people get involved
2: Okay, so March the 16th is a face-to-face workshop here in Dubai. I'm offering all parents the opportunity to come along, bring your partner for free. Right, you purchase a ticket, you bring your partner, your nanny, I've got a lot of people bringing their nannies, your friend for free and this workshop is all about the strong-willed child. It's going to give you the information and the strategies about how to get them to listen to you.
1: How can people find out more and sign up?
2: So find out more on social media. Instagram is... um Coach, I can tell you
1: Coach yeah. Coach Macy Q but do you know what if you send me the word child I will send you the details on Instagram does that make life a little bit easier brilliant thank you so so much I've personally learned an awful lot I'm going <laughs> to keep her around all afternoon so I can talk to her during the news and the songs I know but it's always an absolute pleasure thank you so much I think you've tapped into something that an awful lot of parents are struggling with all the way through the ages thank um, you so hopefully you found this useful and we will of course have Coach Macy back on the show very very soon We are talking health on the show this afternoon. I feel like every other person I speak to is either sick or they're dodging sickness. So we're bringing in the experts. Um, a lot of people complaining about those chesty coughs. So how does it differ to dry cough? When do you t- talk about treatment? Feel free to get in touch with a question if this is a persistent problem in your household or maybe you've got a home remedy. We'd love to hear it on 4001. You've also got the WhatsApp too at 04871 because we're joined on the line now by Dr. Samir Hassan Naik. He is a consultant pulmonologist at King's College Hospital here in Dubai. How are you, doctor?
3: I'm very well, thank
1: you, Helen. I had a bit of a sleepless night last night for two reasons. One, my five-year-old um, has—sorry, newly turned six-year-old has a chesty cough. The other kid got a nosebleed at five o'clock in the morning. So it's the chesty cough that we're talking about today. Um, right. Is it just us? Is it my—is it my friendship group and echo chamber, or are oh, there seem to be an awful lot of these around Dubai right now?
3: So right now, there are lots of viruses that are going around, and we are seeing post-COVID. We are seeing lots of people with influenza viruses and other uh, respiratory viruses and these usually the vector or the kids are getting it and spreading it among themselves and Mm. to the parents and everybody so that is the reason most of us are coughing
1: and it's, it's a it's a really tricky one because as we said it can keep you awake at night this is i think one of the most annoying aspects of it apart from it sounding awful and feeling like your chest is so heavy it's that sleep deprivation that I think a lot of parents find you know, particularly frustrating. Um, can we talk about some of the early interventions we can do at home? Some of the things that you tend to recommend. Look, let's, look at, let's talk at children first and then us adults. Before we feel the need to go to the doctor, what can we do at home?
3: So, first of all, whenever you have mostly viral and also, I forgot to mention, change in the weather and mm. any dusty environment is also contributing especially if you have sensitive breathing tubes or sensitive lungs, basically. Mm-hmm. In addition, it's very common in kids to have problems with tonsils and ear blocks and adenoids and other things which by themselves can cause cough. Mm-hmm. Simple wax in the ear is good enough to make you cough because that, that irritates your ear which irritates the nerve that supplies the lungs and make you cough. So there are multiple reasons why a child or adult can cough, right from infection, To even acid reflux that irritates your gullet or your esophagus, And Mm -hmm. the lungs think they are irritated because of the same nerve supply and you cough. So the main thing that you could do is, first of all, see is it infective or you've got a long-term condition. And if it is something infective, obviously home remedies, everybody is very well-versed using phenodol or over-the-counter cough syrups here. And home remedies like honey, ginger, lemon, these things. Definitely, this will help. Most importantly, steam inhalation. Sit on a ball of steam and good, deep breathing with steam inhalation will soothe on the airways, will calm down the airways, loosen any irritation that is there. That is a simple home remedy as well. Apart from that, things like Panadol or sometimes some antihistamines if you've got allergic status. These things you can do before reaching the doctor.
1: Um, Dr. Doc Samir, you are just talking there about some at-home remedies, and I wondered, when is it time to go and see a doctor? Is it a, to do with a different combination of symptoms, you know, chastity cough with a temperature, or chastity cough that has just been going on for so long that nothing is touching it at home?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, any cough that is lasting for more than four, two weeks, it's better to consult a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's very important because, There could be ongoing inflammation and that could cause more harm uh, in the future if you don't get it assessed. Second thing is, if you've got a pre-existing lung disease like asthma or scarring in your lungs, you're better off. You should have your own management, self-management plan that the doctor should have given you. And if you're not responded to that, yes, you need to go and see your doctor. That's very important as well. In terms of other people, we know the current viruses, especially since COVID has come, the cough can last mm-hmm. a good few weeks, actually. But what is important is you feeling unwell, your sleep getting disturbed, you feeling tight in your chest, you are unable to do what you normally would like to do after five days or a week's time. That is what you would expect you to do. Then I think that's the time that you need to think, okay, if things are improving by the end of week two, then you can still stay and see, make it sure. But if things are not improving from second week onwards, then it's better to go and see a doctor, make sure there is nothing else happening over there, like pneumonias and other things. I mean, I myself personally have seen some people, especially youngsters, who had a cough and ignored it, ended up with severe pneumonias and getting admitted in the hospital
1: thank you for that but, you know my daughter has asthma and i get particularly anxious whenever she gets a cough because i feel like you know it can affect certain certain people with certain underlying conditions more than others and obviously that advice is going to be completely um, individual depending on what those circumstances are let's go to the text line doctors me like a message here saying my 6 year old daughter has a chesty cough right now and when she coughs i tell her to spit it out aside from that and any meds are there any ways to relieve the symptoms Now, spitting it out now it's funny because i had the worst cough over christmas and I I was i apologize i was a snot machine i couldn't believe the volume um so in terms of coughing up any phlegm if it's kind of a, a wet cough um is there any any advice especially with a six-year-old here so she's got a chesty cough right now she's getting, she's getting some meds and spitting up that phlegm anything else that could help
3: yeah. most of the kids especially when they cough they don't spit it out they tend to swallow it uh, most of us we do that actually mm. So asking to spit out does not make much of a difference because even if you, so most of it, as we saw, it goes into your stomach, which is full of acid and that would kill the bugs and everything. But what is important is when you cough, you shake your body, you can get headaches, you can feel unwell. People can faint, they can collapse due to faults of cough. That is because of your blood pressure can drop, different reflexes that can cause. So apart from home remedies, you always need to see there is inflammation, there is infection that needs to be treated. Uh sometimes I recommend my patient to take a finger and press the lower part of their chin as a reflex, like you know, sort of acute pressure. Because if you don't have anything around you at that point, try that episode, that might be a thing. If you are in a area that has got some irritants, some Strong perfumes around there, or there is strong some smoke or anything that itself can trigger the cough. So try to mm, wear a mask or come out of it. So at that point of time, when you have this severe bouts of cough, you have to rely on these measures: avoiding the irritant, or pressing your chain, and making sure you have already started your treatment.
1: Thanks, Doctor. Last question, I'm going to squeeze in this. This is um, from Nikki, who says, when does a doctor advise using a nebulizer?" This is actually a, a big topic. We'll see if we can get your take on it really quickly. I've never even heard of a nebulizer before I became to, came to Dubai, and doctors seem to love them. Interestingly, when I speak to doctor friends back home, they're like, we don't really tend to prescribe them unless it's someone who lives in a really remote um, part of the world where they couldn't get to a doctor or clinic quite easily. When do you think a nebulizer can be useful?
3: So nebulizers basically contain medicines that open up your airways, relaxes your muscles in the airways and also uh, steroid nebulizers and sometimes saline nebulizers to loosen the phlegm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's used in pediatrics because they, take, they can't take inhalers properly. So it is an easier way of giving them the, when they have acute bronchiolitis or a croup, which is a commonly cause. But that is only short term temporary should be done under the guidance of a doctor. Generally, people are very uh, fond of using nebulizers. I get, uh, get keep, uh, people keep asking me, can I have a nebulizer? But I said, you don't need a nebulizer it can take an inhaler. So nebulizers are to be used in serious conditions under a prescription by a doctor because they come with their own false assumptions. People with asthmatics might have a nebulizer and they might ignore their health end up too late going to the emergency department. More importantly, the doses of the medicine can be high, leading to side effects like severe palpitations, tachycardia and other things.
1: Doctor, so thank you. So, um,
3: so, are not to
1: be taken lightly. Thank you for that. I think that's really, really helpful. Because as you said, a lot of people are doing a bit, a bit of self-prescribing around that. So under doctor supervision only. And um, fantastic to speak to you, doctor, today. For speaking to us from King's College Hospital, Dubai, Dr. Samir Hassan Naik. Consultant pulmonologist. And we're speaking to one of his colleagues next. Talking health on the show today and March is Colorectal Awareness Month so we're putting the focus on bowel cancer screening. What we need to do for prevention, what screening looks like and more. To guide us through we're joined on the line by Dr Atif Alavi, the Clinical Director General of Breast and Colorectal Surgery at King's College Hospital Dubai. Dr Atif thank you so so much for your time today. This is a topic really close to my heart. My dad's had um, bowel cancer himself and is fighting fit and very well today but that is Truly, thanks to early detection and great treatment, which she did have in Dubai. So um, I just want to say a big thank you to you and the team for all the work you do in this area. And I wanted to start, if it's all right with you, by talking about some of the differences and indeed the connections between colorectal cancer, colon cancer and bowel cancer. Can you talk us through it in perhaps a way we can all understand, please, sir?
0: Um, uh, good evening, How is, uh, thanks for inviting me for this talk. Uh, pleasure. Uh, Yes, you're right. March is colorectal cancer awareness month, and um, we are seeing a sudden rise in cancer in young age group. Mm -hmm. So this is a bit alarming, uh, especially in the Middle Eastern region. Mm -hmm. Uh, So colon cancer, colorectal cancer, rectal cancer, bowel cancer. uh, These uh, are the same things for uh, different terms, different words for same thing. It's basically the large bowel, which is present in everybody. it's called uh, the cancer is in that area
1: so let's talk a little bit about that age group because that's interesting um about the the age of diagnosis getting younger and younger before we well before we start to start symptoms i'm wondering why you think that might be Can, are there any kind of causation factors that you are starting to draw some conclusions from
0: well i mean uh i mean so a couple of decades ago, this used to be the cancer of the old age group, mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. 70 plus, and things like bowel cancer screening started in UK many years ago, has been quite successful, and the screening population was 70 plus. So slowly in Britain, it's coming down to 65, 60, and they're thinking about coming down to 50. But in uh, in USA and in Middle East, especially in UAE, uh, the, the pickup rate for early uh, bowel cancer in younger age group has been um, quite prominent. Therefore, the age group for screening population we are implementing is 40 plus. Wow, love, uh, first of all, I
1: love that you're I love that you calling 40s young, by the way, Doctor, that makes me very <laughs> happy indeed. Um, but there's all sorts of lifestyle factors. There's a genetic component as well, you know, which is which is partly why my dad went in for a screening at, at his age and why myself, and my, my brother will be as well. So there are some people that are perhaps in a higher risk category, but for general population, you're saying the screening's getting And rightfully so, because we're getting more diagnosis younger and younger. Um, Now, we we are going to talk about the types of screenings now. And I think it's really important just to emphasise time and time again that there is zero embarrassment on your part. This is your job. Your team do screenings all day, every day. But I think it can be a barrier to a lot of people perhaps getting um, some, some detection that they, that they need because there is that embarrassment factor, that stigma. Talk to us about the screening and what might happen in that, just to demystify a little bit, doctor, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely, it's just before about screening, so the, there are no known risk factors, but definitely a family history about cancer, uh, like genetic predisposition is a, is a key factor. And then the lifestyle, uh, like for example, uh, high intake of saturated fatty acids, fats, red, processed meat, inactivity, overweight, heavy drinking uh, and uh, diabetes and past history or family history of colitis. Mm-hmm. These all increases the risk of bowel cancer, but we have seen cancer in patients who have absolutely zero risk factors, they still present with uh, uh, no symptoms and have cancer. So uh, what we are implementing and promoting people is to get screened, get checked. So early detection saves lives. And uh, the the earlier you detect, uh, the the better the cure is. So uh, over at King Hospital, we are having valve screening tests like stool tests, which is called Fit test or SOB test, which used to be. Uh, We check the stool if there's any blood traces. Uh, and most, most of the time you don't see blood but sometimes you see it, you proceed to colonoscopy and then in colonoscopy you check the bowel on the direct vision, if you see a polyp or cancer, polyp can be removed and, uh, but if you see a cancer we can treat it by surgery. Uh, so a polyp is a small growth in the bowel lining which if you don't treat it, it can get bigger and transform into a cancer. Mm-hmm. So early detection means if you pick up something at very early stage, you get 100% cure. Uh, so th- this is a screening plan we have and we are encouraging people uh, at least at the age of 40 to get themselves checked. Uh, now. Some people have symptoms, uh, the most common symptoms which you need to look for it is change in bowel habits okay. So if somebody has normal bowel pattern once a day and suddenly changes to three times a day or goes the other way around once mm-hmm. every four days, they should get it checked. This is one of the alarming signs. The other thing is rectal bleeding. If you see blood, you get it cells checked. Any abdominal pain or you can feel a mass in abdomen, unexpected weight loss or anemia. Uh, this, these things should prompt you to get yourself checked.
1: And when you say checked <laughs> we're talking about so, coming in and so, uh, and, and yeah. it, making making so, friends with you guys pretty fast can you explain what might yeah. happen in that initial screening if someone's listening and going do you know what there have been yeah. some changes in in my um, bowel so, habits so or I, I perhaps is, have noticed blood exactly so uh,
0: if if anybody noticed any of these things they should immediately make an appointment to a doctor um, the first point of contact could be a family physician or gp mm-hmm. or a gastroenterology or colorectal mm-hmm. surgeon so uh, one of us will see the patient, check the history. If the history is suggestive of any of these things being significant, uh, like bleeding or bowel habit change, then we uh, book them for a colonoscopy. And colonoscopy is quite a safe day case procedure. You just have to take the bowel prep before the procedure, a day before you come in and we give some sedation and pass the cameras through the whole colon, make sure everything's okay. Uh, so colonoscopy is the gold standard test. You directly visualize the bowel in front of you and so the chances of pick up are quite good once you do that then you're reassured either it's okay it's fine if not then either you find a polyp or cancer or even you can see the hemorrhoids a cause for bleeding but without uh, checking the colon it's not very sure where the bleeding is come, coming from so this is the initial point of uh, investigation when anybody comes to hospital so I encourage people to come and get checked. There's no need to be shy and no need to be uh, you know, hesitant about telling their story. Uh, that we're here to help and sort out the problem.
1: Thank you so much for your time and your reassurances on this topic. And honestly, this is why I love the show, because we get to meet people like you who are there to kind of demystify the process to normalize something that as we say, especially during awareness month, this is, this is exactly the time we should be, you know, talking, educating, getting past some of our embarrassment around any type of screening, but you know, Carlin we're talking about in particular today. Um, just one last question. We've had a message going, how long does it take to get results? And I think for many people, yes, it's the coming in, but it's also the, the anticipation of how long it takes to, to, to find out what's going on. What is that kind of turnaround time like with you guys at King's?
0: So, um, if you do colonoscopy, the result is immediate, like if we, once we finish the colonoscopy, we, because we see it directly, mm-hmm. we tell the patient whether we found anything uh, is clear or not. If you take a biopsy, for example, a polyp or something more nasty, then the histology takes to two to four days to come back. And, um, but the immediate result after colonoscopy uh straight away. We tell the patient, give them a report. They, either you're all clear or you have something which need further tests or wait for the results. So turnaround time is very quick. Uh, I mean, in the last seven months, I've seen uh, about eight bowel cancers in younger age groups uh, mm-hmm. from 37 to 47. Yeah. And um, uh, which is quite uh, alarming for us as well. Uh, so that's why we are encouraging more and more people to come and get yourself checked. Even if you don't have symptoms, uh, that's why the screening means that patient has no symptoms. The screening population are asymptomatic. Thank
1: Doctor, thank point. you so, so much. I think that's absolutely right. It's about having good bowel health year round, getting in for those screenings, and obviously speaking to experts like yourself to, to guide you through the process should anything come up. Uh, Dr. Atif Alvi speaking to us there from King's College Hospital Dubai, where he's a clinical director and general there of breast and colorectal surgery. If you want his details, just drop me a message saying, King's, I will send it over so you can get that appointment booked.
4: Listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen
1: Farmer.
0: With Pro where the number one ingredient is always high quality salmon, lamb, turkey, and chicken.
1: We're broadcasting live from the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship, and just next door at Irish Village, dogs are very much welcome. They'll put down a little bowl of water for them. The staff are there with a little treat or two, but where else can you go in Dubai that will welcome your furry friend with open arms? Bringing the experts now, on Sanden is with us. She's the founder of Doggy Adventures, inspired by her very own pooch, and she's also the woman behind a massive event taking place this weekend that it could not be more pet-friendly if it tried. Woofstock! It is, um, it's it's a it's a big deal, I have to say, to be to be pulling together something that. You know, you've got so many, got so many different aspects of the event. For anyone that didn't hear a little bit about Woodstock last week, tell us about what's going to be happening on ground this weekend. Yes,
4: yeah, so it's happening this Saturday, Woodstock, and it's going to be
1: at um, the
4: Dubai Polo Club. Uh, there is a lot. A lot, a lot going on. Yeah, we have amazing workshops. Uh, we have so many kinds of activations, uh, food trucks, live music, vendor stalls, uh, kids zones, off-leash play area. Yeah, a lot.
1: We touched <laughs> last week on how you are color coding dogs, not by their fur, but by yeah. their. their, their, their their willingness to be interacted with i guess because you you think you made a really good point which was that all dogs are very much welcome yes we want to make sure they're vaccinated we want to make sure that they're safe to be there um but but being shy isn't a barrier to coming along and, and having some fun. So tell us a little bit again about that colour coding and, I guess, the categories.
4: Yeah, well, some of the dogs, they're very social. They go out all the time, you know, their pet parents, like Ginger here. Sitting just
1: chill, chilling <laughs> She's on Menna's lap. super
4: social. Um, yeah, there are a lot of dogs that, you know, luckily their owners take them out all the time. So mm-hmm. they get used to going to public places, but not all the dogs are used to it. Or they're a reactive dogs. So the colour coding is just to identify how social the dog is.
1: Now we had one of our little listeners, Natalie came over before and came up to Ginger and, and said, I think as we want to encourage with children and said to Mena, you know, is it okay if I say hello to your dog? Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously she'd be green for go. Um, <laughs> she'd be well and truly wearing a, wearing a green uh, a green tag for this event. But I think that's just very sensible, to be honest, to be encouraging this openness around, this is what my dog's comfortable with. this this is you know we're down to have a little chat and a play or do you know what just have a bit of space and just you know do your thing absolutely we've got to respect that you know boundary for the dogs as well um for anyone that does want to come along to woofstock what's the best way of getting tickets well, we're on platinum
4: lists, so you can get
1: your tickets there. Dead easy. Yeah. It's free for under 12s, I believe. And yeah. uh, as we said, lots happening there, food trucks, workshops. You're going to have some like sound healing and doggy pe- peppy Pilates. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to be <laughs> a Arts and crafts well, I mean, with dogs. I can't, can't <laughs> think of anything better. Genuinely can't. Um, Now, aside from this weekend, your kind of dedication, really, when it comes to being in Dubai with an animal is helping people understand and discover places that are really genuinely pet friendly. And I wondered if you could share some of your favorites, whether it's a recent discovery or an, an old favorite that you go back to time and time again with your furry friend.
4: Well, luckily, Dubai especially is getting more and more dog friendly, as you say, which is really such a, an amazing trend uh, that is happening. And more dog owners are also taking out their dogs with them, you know, so they're encouraging places to open up their doors for dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of my favorite places are uh, definitely La-, La Nena. I love it. Indoor dog friendly. Um, Where's that? Uh, La Nena. It's in Aucoos. Yeah,
1: so this is the beautiful cafe, cafe that went went viral viral. Because yeah. it looks like this beautiful, kind of softly lit cave. And yes. apparently, the coffee's fantastic as yes. well.
4: Yes, 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 that's the place. Helena. We've
1: had a message from Helena saying Have you seen the pet elevator at Jamira Zabilsa House in the Greens going pup? Very
4: cute. Yes, I have seen it. I have.
1: Um, Now, the Greens, I think, is a really, really pet friendly destination. We've taken our dogs for breakfast at Arrows and Sparrows before.
4: Arrows and Sparrows, I've been there a hundred times. Like, honestly, it's just across my building. I live in the Greens, so I go there quite often.
1: Any others uh, that our our, um, our intrepid listeners should be paying attention to that you think deserves a mm, shout out in Dubai?
4: Most people, maybe they haven't heard of Tap and Grill yet. See, there you go. No. Nope. <laughs> is, <laughs> pa- is it on the
1: Palm? No, it's Jumeirah uh, it? Golf Estates. Oh. Yeah. So you can have a grill, you can have a tap, yeah, and you can take your dog. Yes, sounds fun. Now we, we you've got so many on your platform, so, Yvonne, so it's probably the easiest way is to tell people how to find you online.
4: <laughs> <laughs> on social media, Doggy Adventures in Dubai I'm on Instagram, where you can see all the
1: videos. If you want that, you can just send me the word dog, and I will send you the Instagram links. So you can have a little look at Yvonne's uh, many many adventures with her pooch, and yes, more information as we said on Woofstock there on Platinum List get back to your very busy day thank you so so much we are talking next to ginger this like is time? pets and, yes, and vets on afternoons after. with helen farmer
0: with pro groundbreaking science life-changing
2: nutrition
1: and on hand to take my questions and indeed yours is mena lopez and her dog ginger uh, men is a, a dog trainer i want to hear a little bit about the origin story about your gorgeous gorgeous girl she's portuguese does she speak english as well
5: um, I think by now she speaks English a little bit as well, yes. <laughs> How did she
1: come into your life?
5: Um, it was very random. Uh, I, was, I was a biologist at the time in Portugal and I was on the way to um, a field day and we, we stopped because we thought she was a baby fox that was lost from She looks mother. like a little fox. Yeah, I got um, I was, was tricked. <laughs> I thought we're getting a fox and not a, a little dog. I used to work for a rehabilitation centre for wildlife. So we needed to recover the little fox and then end up being a dog and she spent the rest of the day with us and I couldn't let her go anymore.
1: She's just gorgeous. So you don't really know how old she is or what would you guess?
5: Uh, I I guess she's around um, maximum nine years old because I have her, this is the eighth year together that we're together but at the time she always had really bad teeth so at the time when I brought her to the vet, the vet said she's between four or eight years old. Oh goodness. And this was eight years ago so I prefer to think she's around maximum nine.
1: (laughs) At the lower end of the scale, she is a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. And I, I must be... It must be very heartening for people that you're working with to see just how well behaved she is. She's sitting on your lap, just so calm. She's annoyed by a few flies, but she is just lovely. Now, we've had a lot of questions for you, and I put a shout out on social media um, earlier. So you're more than welcome to get in touch there or indeed through the text line as well. Um, Megan saying we're leaving Dubai in May, going back to the UK, which wasn't planned. We're current three and have totally fallen for her. Standard foster fail. I wondered if you think the move would be okay for for a dog at that age, and any ideas for settling her in at the other end. That's from Megan.
5: Um, yes, I think the move will be okay. I think especially if the dog is already attached to you as well, the move is always better than, than staying and, and going to a different family. Absolutely. Um, you can continue the routines of the dog is really important. Have some toys and blankets that have the same smell from here, going back to the to the new house and get uh, the, um, the crate training ASAP. So that will be the, the best thing.
1: So this is a three-month-old pup. If they haven't introduced crate training yet, that's okay. It could be brought in at this stage.
5: Yeah, you can do it whatever you want. I I only introduced crate training to Ginger when I knew I was coming to Dubai. She never before saw a crate before. And how how
1: did she respond to that?
5: Pretty well. She had no other option. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it works a charm but isn't that interesting because I I assume that crate training was something that you'd have to do from the very outset
5: nothing you need to do straight from the beginning Uh, you can can always train an older dog it just might take a little bit longer Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with with crates it could be that the dog already has a negative connection so you need to do a little bit extra work but there's no such thing as too old to learn something
1: and we've had not one but two questions about pulling Um, so one from Ben um saying that basically for p- dogs pulling on the lead is driving me mad should we use a slip lead or a halty um so we've tried treats in the pocket uh can these a medium mix three years old we've also had a question uh, that's just come in about a seven month old chow retriever amazing loving dog super behaved but walking him is a nightmare he pulls so hard, it hurts. It's starting to get painful. He's a big boy. So that's from Phil. Can we help out Ben and Phil on pulling pups?
5: Uh, yes, we can. The best thing you can do uh, right now is to get the proper tool. Uh, as with everything, even when you are training yourself, uh, you need to get the proper shoes, and proper everything, otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to, to get injured. So with the dogs, it's the same. Um, big no-no to sleep leads or alties. They can injure the dog and the behavior can become much worse uh, due to those instruments. For big dogs, I always advise a front clip harness. So it's a harness that you can clip on the chest instead of on the back. Okay. It's just going to make a massive difference plus training as well.
1: Why Why is that position so integral?
5: Um, because on the chest, when the dog lunges or when the dog tries to, to pull, the harness, the mechanism of the harness just helps the, the dog bring him back to you. Mm-hmm. By So with that, the lunging and that tugging that looks like our arm is going to be pulled out of the socket doesn't happen anymore and also stops the reinforcement of the pulling because the more our dog pulls the faster it goes to what he wants so dog just learns Ah, pulling works I'm going to continue to pull.
1: Interesting now Ben's also talking about treats in pockets are there any other strategies you can try while walking to keep them?
5: Um, not treats, you can use the treats in your pockets to reward when your dog is uh, deciding to walk nicely on a loose leash next to you mm-hmm. um, but in general you don't need to use treats to, walking to teach your dog how to walk, you can use what we call life reward, so if your dog pulls you don't walk, if your dog is not pulling he's allowed to sniff, he's allowed to say hello to people, he's allowed to walk.
1: Thank you for mentioning sniffing there, because I think dogs in our dog walks in our household kind of fall into two categories. We've got the kind of very functional walk, which is like, let's just go and get some exercise this morning. And then there's the more kind of exploratory, having a good sniff around the neighborhood. Um, is there a role for both, do you think, in a dog's life?
5: Uh, there should be a mix of both, that's for sure. Sniffing, it's so important for dogs. Um, I once did, uh, uh, heard a podcast about a trainer saying that sniffing for dogs it's the same thing in the WhatsApp community. So they're checking. <laughs> on everything that's going on, that's the kind of information they need. So they, they need much more much more of a walk like that than just a walk, they just run, 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 go mm-hmm. to A to B. It's They prefer the, the, the travel from A to that's B. So that's
1: interesting. So it's like a bit of mental stimulation, but it's also it communication is. In, in the neighborhood. whos yep. Who's been there? Who's saying what on that lamppost? All right, really hope that helps. All the very best, Brent and Phil. Um, so chest clip harness there and um, some rewards, whether that is little treats for, for behaving, but more likely that learnt behaviour through stopping and starting depending on what they're doing all right men is with us this afternoon we've also had questions about barking and i knew that we, we touched on it last time we spoke but i think it's something that stresses out an awful lot of pet owners how to stop dogs barking every time someone comes to the door um it gets really really noisy it does we've got a barker in our household we're not we're not it stresses me out as well so quick tips if you don't mind a bit of a quick fire round
5: um it's Try to understand why your dog is barking is because he's getting attention, he's overexcited or because he's uh, fearful of the situation and then depending on it, teach him that if he's overexcited, that if he's being calm, that's when he gets the attention of the stranger and if he's fearful, you just need to teach him that people coming into the house, it's not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. So depending on the kind of barking, there's going to be different ways of training.
1: So find out the why. Okay. Um, Great question from Nerman here saying, um, hi both, we have two dogs, ages 12 and 8. And would be interested in adopting a puppy would this stress out the older one in particular or can it be a new lease of life i don't want to make the last few years of her life difficult and would welcome the pros and cons
5: um it could i think it's a both it's going to it can be both um it's going to be stressful for sure but stress could be positive right um because um i would say start by fostering uh and just see how that impacts your dog but when you get a new puppy and you get a, a older dog i think it's really important to give um, a day free of the puppy to the older <laughs> dog, so or send them to daycare or send them to play playdates. Uh, but it's important for the older dog to get a free day and for the puppy as well to have uh, one day to spend with the the same with the same energy level. And okay,
1: all. that's really interesting. We we got a, a puppy when our dog was about ten, I think, and we did start to see this really more playful side that we'd never seen in her before, which was really really lovely. But my goodness, this puppy did really annoy her, like hanging off her ears and. But then equally you know, she really helped socialise him and, you know, was around him to kind of teach him how to go out of the dog flap to go to the bathroom, for example. You know, it was it was really interesting to see how that behavior mirrored. So definite pros and cons, but I think like the idea of fostering being a bit of a stopgap.
5: I think fostering is always the best option to start and then depending on how it goes, it can be already your dog or you just make a decision after that.
1: Okay. Um, Another question about fostering This is from Leanne saying, we're looking after a mixed pup, approximately 12 weeks old, but she's absolutely terrified of everything sits frozen, won't interact at all. Any hints or tips the first few days? I know socializing puppies is really important. Being 12 weeks, she should have started this, but I don't want to overwhelm her. That's from Leanne.
5: Um, Less is more with dogs that are scared. Okay, so if she's terrified, maybe just instead of going to the restaurant, you sit one kilometer away from the restaurant just so Mm -hmm. the puppy can hear the sounds, or you stay inside of the car so the puppy can hear the sounds. Um, Think about Ansel and Gretel with the little pieces of food to to promote your dog to, the puppy to explore by himself and all that so it's mm-hmm. all of never never force it and make sure it's being enjoyable for the puppy as well
1: and now this was a big issue that's come out of the UK in particular is about lockdown puppies and you know people were not really able to socialize those puppies as much as they wanted to or or, or really needed to for anyone that is fostering a puppy or has, you know, has a puppy in their life, what are some of the things on the on the tick list to help them become a bit more worldly, so they can sit like Ginger here down at the Dubai Tennis Championship?
5: Um, I would say. Um Start testing to see how much can you push. And the places that I normally tell my my clients that have puppies to go here in Dubai, it's downtown to see the fountain shows. Um, so they get used to that loud <laughs> so noise. Dubai. Uh, it's go for a walk in GBR and GLT. Uh, so go for a little bit of more the busiest neighborhoods to get our dogs used to mm-hmm. and try to push themselves to get out of their neighborhood because here in Dubai we live in such nice areas that are dog friendly. So we end up not taking our dog out.
1: So you don't challenge them as much exactly, as they could be.
5: Exactly. Exactly. So Ginger okay. uh, is really chill because she grew up in Lisbon. uh, She's a city
1: hound. She's a a
5: a downtown uh, (laughs) European capital dog. So um, if she has grown up here in the middle of Arabian ranches where there's zero traffic, zero things going on, Mm -hmm. she'll probably be very scared to be right now here.
1: And this is just another day in Ginger's (laughs) life. I heard a little whisper that she's quite accomplished at doing some Tricks.
5: Sam, go on. What's
1: what's in her? What's in her playbook?
5: Um, She, to be very honest, she only learned a lot of tricks since I started uh, a a class here that's called a game night. So it's a class that we do a lot of games with our dogs, and one of the games is um, I went to the island and I brought this, but with dog tricks. So I was pushed into train a lot of tricks. Because my clients claim we with we'll a rollover and give paw and spin, so like okay, my dog needs to learn how to do all <laughs> of this now. So you had
1: a, a trick boot camp.
5: Yes, basically. So that was one of the the reasons. So she knows how to roll over, give paw, dance, sit, pretty uh, yoga. So okay,
1: she right, Milani. We need to get this on camera. I promise you, before 5 o'clock, we will have this on our Instagram stories. I want to see Sitting Pretty and Dancing from Young Ginge. Um, Amelie's been in touch, and you're part of the Cocker Club as well, saying, how often should you bathe a Cocker Spaniel? Now, this is more of a vet question, to be honest, but I have asked this in, in the past before, and the answer is, not as often as you think. To be honest, we were, we were bathing ours every every week and I've been told that it probably should be closer to once a month. Um, any take on that, Mena?
5: It's once a month that you should be bathe your dogs, yes. And um, what you can do is just use wet wipes to really? daily maintenance, yes.
1: Ah, there you go a little a little wet wipe Thank you so so much for your time Finally anyone that's going to woofstock this weekend anything we could be doing to prepare our animals for that social interaction over the weekend come to Irish village <laughs> come to it all happening here come to Irish village and come and say hello and um, if you want Mene's details just send me the word woof and I will send you her Instagram if you need it though now. That was Rick, not Ginger. Rick, you made me jump. <laughs> you can find Mena and Ginger on Instagram at it's itsgingerways. So get in touch if you want her details, I'll happily send you the link.